Good morning. Good morning. Welcome, welcome to Evergreen Baptist Church of Los Angeles. I want to invite our, uh, our in-person worship, worshipers, our uh, Evergreen on campus, to take a seat and uh, thank you, Pastor Shirley, for that pastoral word. Yeah, that just kind of leads us into our first, just our first kind of announcement. In the pandemic, one of the new realities that we have to face is that we have to adjust to a congregation that is dispersed on Sunday mornings. Some of us are here on campus, some of us are online. Actually, a lot of us are at home online. And our desire is to create a meaningful and connected experience wherever you are, whether you're here at Evergreen on campus or at home with Evergreen online, we want everybody to be connected in this pandemic. And because we believe that the church is a family, and as we say here, we wanna be a home for that family, a home for the new humanity of God, being connected to each other isn't a luxury. It's a, it's a characteristic of God's family. And so each week we have at least one pastor of ours online on the YouTube chat to function as our online chaplain for the week. And so for those of you that are on YouTube, we definitely invite you to take advantage of that. Uh, Pastor Ryan is uh, our online chaplain this week, and so he's there ready to engage with you, ready to ask questions, ready to uh, interact with um, with all of you that are joining us uh, on YouTube. And I hope all of you can take advantage of that. This morning, we're also experimenting with an additional opportunity to engage, for, for those of you who are online. Similar to our Super Bowl tailgate watch party that our men's ministry is hosting later this afternoon, this morning we're also having a worship service watch party on Zoom. And so for those of you at home, you can log on to the Zoom link, which was in our weekly email, I believe. And if not, it's, def it's on our website homepage. If you just go to ebcla.org and scroll down just about an inch, uh, you'll see the link to join the service. And then right under there, there's a link to join our worship service watch party. And here in this Zoom, uh, Zoom room, you can interact with other Evergreeners and our pastors in real time as you watch this service together. Um, we'll also be using these interactive spaces in the Zoom rooms to uh, break you out into little discussion groups and uh, be able, so that you can be able to interact with the sermon material today. One of our goals this year is to rebuild our church family to, um, to get, regather what the pandemic has disassembled in the past year. And so we highly encourage you, we highly encourage you, if you are online, try this out today. Go on to Zoom, uh, go on to our Zoom room and log in. You'll see Pastor Ryan and some of the other pastors waiting for you, and you'll be able to engage with other evergreeners from the comfort of your own home. So even though we're dispersed a little bit, we can actually still have that feeling and that sense that we're together. Now, those of you who are in the sanctuary, we're also gonna have a lot of fun, but you're just gonna have to talk to each other, okay? Now, all this brings me to my second pastoral encouragement. Uh, this year, as we explore our meta-theme, Seasons of Love, where we're looking at the reality of the culture in our lives today, of this pandemic with all the division, with all the injustice, with the mental health strain, the separation that we have from actual human contact, which uh, uh, we alluded to earlier this morning. Uh, we want to explore how God's love, how God's love when it's lived out in our lives is the divine, divine response to all of this that we're experiencing in the pandemic. And to live that out, it's important to grow in the relationships that we have here in church. 
And so we can't do that scattered. So what we want to do is we want to actually encourage you, all of you at home and all of you here today, we want to bring the congregation slowly back together. We know the pandemic has, has scattered us, but we recognize that we can't stay this way forever. And so with Lent coming up, I want to encourage all of us to consider uh, coming and joining us here at the Rosemead campus for at least one, maybe two, uh, in-person worship services. Our safety protocol is, in, in my opinion, some of the strictest that, uh, that most churches have, but it actually has been keeping us really safe. And I think, you know, it, it's prevented any, any spread of COVID-19 in the sanctuary, in our worship services. So I feel it's actually pretty safe to be here um, Definitely, we, we don't want to force everybody to come, but we do want to encourage you to actually consider joining us this Lenten season, which starts in just a couple of weeks, during those 40 days or those six, six to seven weeks of uh, this special church season. We want to encourage you, consider joining us just for one or two services, and I think that you'll be tremendously blessed by the experience of being back in person with your, your uh, fellow Evergreeners uh, in the next few weeks. So definitely... Please, uh, as we start to reconnect, I, I think you'll, you'll see God tangibly working through our coming back together. Now, if you're just joining us, our current sermon series is called I Want to Know What Love Is, off the hit foreigner song from the 1980s. And so some of, some of you, that seems a really long time ago. Uh, but we wanted to do was provide a biblical understanding of love as we launched into our year of love theme this year. As Christians, our understanding of love doesn't come from, primarily from the culture around us. It doesn't come from songs, it doesn't come from movies, it doesn't come from rom-coms, it doesn't come from books. It actually comes from the example that God shows us through Jesus Christ. And so in the last few weeks, we've talked about how God shows love to us as provider, as protector, and as friend. And so this week, we're going to explore God as loving teacher. Now, one of my favorite teachers was my third grade teacher named Mrs. Pat Okura. And some of you who are uh, from the Monterey Park area, you know who this is. One thing I remember about Mrs. Okura was that she was always so kind to all of her students. She treated everybody with respect, and she was one of those, those people that, that everyone liked. Even the mischievous kids respected her and loved her. And she motivated us through a lot of positive reinforcement. And she would have this big treasure chest in her classroom. And she would print out these little pieces of paper and call them okurapons. And if you built up enough okurapons, you could actually use them as uh, money to buy something from her treasure chest. And she, so she was always motivating us to, to do good, to do better in school, to to have better behavior, and uh, I just, I loved her. She was so kind. She was so kind. I loved being in her class. For our first breakout session, for those of you here in the sanctuary, just turn to a neighbor, and, and for those of you online, I want you to think about your favorite teacher. Think about your favorite teacher. Evergreen kids, you should be able to answer this question as well. Who was your favorite teacher and why? Who was your favorite teacher and why? Go ahead and discuss.
All right, take about another 60 seconds, about another minute to wrap up. All right. You have to time this correctly so that the people in the watch party can come back into the main Zoom room. This week, I felt led to the book of Genesis to the creation narrative, which I think is actually appropriate because the Jews actually look at Genesis and the Torah and they believe that this book is the book of teaching. It's not a science book, it's not a history book, but it is a book about teaching, teaching about life. And so I think that's an appropriate place for us this morning. Now, in the book of Genesis, in this, in this creation narrative from chapter 2 and 3, God creates the first humans, and he immediately begins to teach them. And I know that we're, there are probably a lot of ways to teach, and this is by no means a prescriptive manual on how to teach and how to educate people, but I thought that a quick read of this story is actually fun to discover three ways that I see God teaching these first humans. And so let's read from the book of Genesis, chapter 2, starting at verse 15. It says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work, to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will certainly die. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a, suitable helper, a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground, out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them, and whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. The first way that God teaches is through wonder. The first way that God teaches is through wonder. I want you to take a look at how God places in this story the first human in this garden, in the Garden of Eden, and God says, you are free to eat. You're free to eat. All of this is for you to discover. You're free to work. You're free to work the ground. All of this is for you to engage with. And even when God gives, wants to give this first human a helper, God forms and brings every animal, every animal to this person, and this first human is able to interact with that animal, to be able to discern and discover what this animal is like. There's this sense of wonder and play with this first human as it interacts with the world around him. There's so much that we learn through play. And I'm not talking about play as in playing with toys, but play as in discovery mode. When we're interacting with the world around us, with our senses, we're tapping into our sense of wonder that God has placed in us. And I think this is often how we learn about God, right? 
One of my friends works in cancer research, and he was telling me one day, as he, as he explores and discovers and works to find things that will help to cure or to relieve cancer in this world, as he studies the human body and its natural defenses, he says, I am positive, I'm so sure that God exists. Because there's no way that all of the intricacies and all of the magnificence of the human body just happened by chance. There has to be someone or something behind us. That's learning through wonder. God engages our sense of discovery and play and curiosity. This one time, uh, or, or I once took this trip to Israel with actually a bunch of evergreeners uh, a few years ago. And there was this point in the trip where a few of us were playing in the Sea of Galilee. There was, we were staying at this little um, uh, hotel-like place uh, just on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. And my friend and I were swimming in the Sea of Galilee. And there was this, this floating sort of dock right in the middle of of the water, um, well, closer to the shore, but, but out away from the land. And my friend and I were, were pretending that we were Jesus. It sounds very juvenile now that I tell the story. We were pretending that we were Jesus, and we were trying to walk off the dock and see if we could walk on the water. And um, I won't tell you how old I was, because that's really embarrassing now. Um, but we were, it was just this kind of neat experience, because we were playing in the Sea of Galilee. And we were letting our minds sort of wander and wrap their arms around the fact that this is where Jesus was when he walked on water. And there, through that play, there is this sense of wonder and discovery, like, whoa, God was here. And he did this. And even as many times as we tried to do it and fell into the water, God did this. And Inside me, I, was, I felt this sense of like closeness and, and discovery as I was learning about God. I want you to talk with your neighbor now. And I want you to go, go back into your breakout groups in the watch party. And I want you to share one way that God has taught you through wonder. Where, were you out in nature? Were you talking with a friend? Were you engaged in some activity? Maybe you were even at work and you discovered something, maybe you had a revelation, maybe you just felt like God placed you in that place just to learn about this one thing. What has God taught you through wonder and discovery, and how did that, wonder, how did that wonderful discovery affect you? Go ahead and uh, go into your breakout groups.
For those of you online, this is a one minute warning, so one minute we'll reassemble. All right, let's uh, come back together. Evergreen Online, I hope you're uh, having fun in your breakout groups this morning or engaging on the YouTube chat. Now, as we talk about wonder, I want to transition into our second point. Most of us at some point have assembled or tried to assemble, well, IKEA furniture. And if you've ever seen the instruction manual for these wonderful pieces of furniture, they are just a bunch of hard-to-understand pictures uh, with some guy with a, with a big nose that's, that's uh, trying to put together something without any screwdrivers. You need these instructions because all the pieces of furniture often look exactly the same. They're all sort of white pieces of, uh, of uh, particle board, right? And except for a few crucial pieces, with some sort of extra pilot hole or a little extra notch in them, it's hard to tell them apart. And the, the difficult thing is that if you misplace or rearrange that one crucial piece, the whole stinking thing is out of whack. And you have to you either have this crooked shelf or you have to take it over and you break one of those pegs off and you have to go back to Ikea just for that one little thing. These instructions are critical to understanding the mystery that is Ikea furniture. Now, in the book of Genesis, chapter 2, again, I want to read you this, this short little passage again. Chapter 15, it says, or it's, uh, verse 15, it says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. The second way God teaches us is through instruction. The second way that God teaches us through this passage is through instruction. And as we see in this Genesis passage, God needs to instruct this first human about the world around. Because without God's revelation, he's lost. You are free to eat from any tree, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge, God says. Now, in the end, the humans end up eating the, from the tree of knowledge anyway, so I don't know how effective God's instructions were. But regardless, sometimes, sometimes we actually flourish with instructions, right? When someone says, don't do this, but do that. Don't touch that, but you can go play over here. And although I would not read the Bible as a manual for life, I think we can we can classify it as some sort of instruction, some, sort of, some form of direction for us. 
Now, as Baptists, we believe that this is our primary source material, our rule of faith and life, and God instructs us through it. And so instruction might come through a lot of things, through the form of a vision, maybe through a prayerful word, or even through the words of uh, someone else. But sometimes when we're drifting off course, we need instructions to help us find our way back. And it's different than wonder because there may be situations where it's actually not helpful to play around. I remember in metal shop in high school, our teacher was showing us uh, this air compressor hose, right? And I guess he knew that a lot of us would fool around with this thing. So he said, don't point it at someone else's face because there's so much air pressure PSI in this hose that if you point it at someone's eyeball, it'll pop the eyeball right out. And everyone was terrified because that's not something you want to see in high school. Right? That's not a lesson that you want to learn through discovery and play. <laughs> in Genesis, God gives this instruction to Adam and Eve because it's not something that he hopes they will learn through discovery. Has God ever taught you through instruction, through a directive word? I want you to share this with your neighbor or in your breakout room or in the YouTube chat if you're on YouTube. When has God taught you through instruction? Can you remember a time when God taught you through a specific lesson or a specific instance? Perhaps there was a word of instruction when you were reading a Bible passage or listening to a sermon or talking to a mentor or to a friend. Maybe there was just a word that you received in your heart. And how did this word of direction affect you? What did it do to you when you received this word of instruction? Go ahead and go into your breakout groups and discuss that. When, when has God, what is one thing that you've learned through instruction? Those in the watch party, this is uh, one minute. One minute until we regather.
All right, let's uh, regather. I hope you guys are having a good time and you're engaging online as well as in person here. We know that God instructed these first humans not to eat from the tree of knowledge, but like a lot of us, you tell us, don't do this one thing, and we, we do it. Which leads me to the next point. The last way I want to highlight this morning from the Genesis passage is God's teaching through discipline. And then in Genesis chapter 3, uh, starting at verse 22, it says this, The Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and, also, and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. So in the story, Adam and Eve, they eat from the forbidden tree, and because of that, humanity, all of humanity, from there on out, is now born into sin and brokenness. And there are consequences of that. God banishes them. He banishes them from the garden. And here's the interesting thing. He places, a cherub, he places cherubim, which are sphinx-like creatures, with flaming swords, to guard the path back into the garden from the humans. But the tree, the garden, and all of that first creation, though, is untouched. It's not destroyed. It's not wiped out. It's not, at this point, not made new. Because God's not done with it yet. Now, at the end of Scripture, we, we know as Christians that all of this is sort of transformed into what we read as the new Jerusalem. But the fact that God, at this point in the story, keeps the garden, he keeps the garden and just sends these two away, tells me something. It tells me that Adam and Eve, as much as we sort of think they did, they didn't ruin everything. They didn't mess creation up, actually, as much as we may think. Yes, there are still some difficult consequences to their actions, but God still seems to be teaching them something in this. Even in their banishment, there is something for them to learn. This is teaching through discipline. A few years ago, <laughs> right before the pandemic, we enrolled our girls in a research preschool when they were about three. And the research preschool, it was connected to Cal State LA, so there's a lot of uh, undergrad students, grad students, and um, uh, a lot of their staff were really highly educated uh, child development um, staff, staff members at this research preschool. And they used to have these kind of learning sessions for the parents as well, and they would, they would bring us in. And one of the sessions they had was about discipline. <laughs> and so all of us who were having trouble managing our kids showed up to this thing. And it's funny because it was just a bunch of parents saying like, okay, how do I deal with my kid when they do this? Or what happens when they do that? So it felt like just a bunch of parents sitting around a table saying like, help, I need your help. Please, please tell us the latest research and what we can do. And one of the things that I remember these, um, these staff members impressing, impressing upon us in that meeting was about discipline, and they said discipline is teaching. Discipline is teaching, it's not punishment. 
And in that reframework, that framework, that reorienting of framework really struck me. That discipline is teaching. It's not about punishment. Now, unfortunately, we often flip those things around, and we think discipline is punishment. It's not about teaching, right? And if we're angry, then that, that really gets messed up. And I want to talk about that today, about discipline. Now, don't worry. I'm not going to send you into any more discussion groups because I know that a lot of you are sitting with your families, and it'd be awkward if I turn, to your, turn the person in your living room next to you and talk about how you grew up and discipline, how discipline was in your household. <laughs> I'm just going to avoid all of that awkwardness. You can talk about that later with your therapist. <laughs> but discipline is often hard to talk about because it doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel good for us. And all of our unresolved parental issues actually taint how we, how we think about God's discipline because it all sort of gets jumbled up when we start to think about it. But I do believe that it's important to talk about God's discipline because it's a very real way in which God teaches us. Everything that's painful or uncomfortable isn't God disciplining us. So I don't want you to make that connection that, oh, if, it, if it's uncomfortable, if it hurts, or if it feels bad, then that's just God God teaching me something. Some of that is just the pain and the hurt and the evil and the sin that's in the world. If you're in an abusive relationship or experiencing some horrific event, I don't want you to automatically assume, oh, that's just God. He's teaching me something because that's, that's not it. But sometimes there will be a difficult correction or an uncomfortable experience that God is using to teach us. And we see that in the Bible. In the book of Revelation, chapter 3, now going to the other end of the scriptures, it says this, starting at verse 14, to the angel of the church in Laodicea. These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other, so because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am, about, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness, and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, there are a number of issues happening in the church of Laodicea. And without getting into too many details, let's just say that Jesus was not happy with them. And he has some harsh words for the Laodicean Christians. He says, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth because you are like lukewarm water. Nobody likes lukewarm water. You like cold water, refreshing cold water, or you like hot water to warm you up when it's cold, right? You are like warm water, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You are wretched, 
pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. This isn't just Jesus trying to insult. He's actually telling them what he sees. This is the church that nobody wants to be. Right? All the other churches are like, man, we're kind of bad, but we're not like those Laodiceans over there. Those guys are really messed up. Right? But in verse 19, Jesus says this line that I think actually helps to anchor all of this really harsh critique in who God is. And in verse 19, Jesus says this. He says, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. And Jesus is telling Laodicea, the church at Laodicea, my rebuke and discipline is me showing love. God is teaching something. He's teaching the Laodiceans, the Laodiceans that his correction is because he loves them. He's correcting them because he loves them. And here's the best part of this entire passage. He says, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. Be earnest and repent. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, then I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. We often have the false assumption that God disciplines and corrects us because of some need for us to be pure or righteous or moral. That the primary motivating factor for God's discipline is our behavior. In which, you know, there is a behavioral element to it, but we think that, that's, that just, God just wants us to act right. But what Revelation tells us is that the primary goal of discipline is relational to God. Jesus says, I'm disciplining you because you've lost me. And all of this correction is so that you can actually sit with me on my throne. The prize not being the throne, but the one who sits on the throne with you. All of, this, all of this discipline, he says, is so that you will open the door and dine with me. The prize not being the meal, but the one you share it with. There is a, a season in my life where there was a, a person that, that was really sort of rubbing me the wrong way. And I, I, I think over time, I just kind of built up this resentment toward this, this, this person. And I could feel it in the way that I, I talked and just kind of my attitude, and I just did not think anything was wrong with that. I was like, ah, that's just, they, they deserve it. That's, that's kind of how they're making me feel. And I was able to go away for this, um, this retreat and had this extended time with God. And I remember spending this, this time with Jesus and just in prayer and just kind of walking around. And I actually felt like this, this time in this retreat was a combination of wonder, instruction, and discipline. And as I sat there, just sort of not even thinking about this person, 
I, can feel, I could feel and sense that God was bringing this person's name to mind. And as I sat there, kind of feeling like, I don't want to talk about this person, God. You know, like, let's talk about something else. Let's talk about me, you know. Um, like, God kept bringing this person to mind. And I was wrestling with this because I'm like, ah, I don't want to, I don't want to deal with this. And I could feel God just saying, like, just how you feel is wrong. Or how you feel isn't, isn't, isn't what I want from you. And God just kind of said, just pray. Pray for this person. And as I begin to pray, I begin to just feel my heart soften. And I, could, I felt like all this sort of hardness in my heart toward this person sort of started to crack and crumble. And I actually got to this point where I started crying because I was... I felt so compassionate for this person that I was, I felt so much animosity toward at this point. And it just floored me because I was like, whoa, I, number one, I don't want to talk about this, but God really gave me this word of correction. And as I walked away from that time, I just felt this sense of awe. Not because of any sort of forgiveness or any sort of um, change of attitude in my heart, although that was impressive and that was sort of like uh, convicting and special. But what the awe was from was the fact that God was intimately involved in my life and that God was so concerned about me and my growth and who I was that he would care to bring this up to me. God disciplines us and teaches us through discipline because he loves us. And I think that's what this is all about. The wonder, the instruction, the discipline. All of this, God says, is to draw you near to me. I, I stand at the door and knock so that you'll open the door and so that I can come in and be with you to the one who is victorious. The treasure, the treasure is getting to sit next to me. And that's not just our treasure, that's God's as well. Let's pray. God, we live in a culture with so much messaging that surrounds us and tries to teach us what love is. But we want to know what love is as defined by you. And Lord, we recognize this morning that you are the great teacher, the rabbi, the instructor, the great parent who teaches us through wonder, through instruction, and even discipline in our difficult times. And we are grateful, Lord, that we get to be taught by you because we realize, Lord, that you teach us because you love us. You teach us because you want us to draw near to you. You teach us because 
You want us to become like you. Thank you. Thank you, Lord, for teaching us. Thank you, Lord, for letting us be your disciples and your students. We praise you and we worship you and we continue to learn from you in Jesus' name. Amen.